listening to our podcast, Now and Then, Flato Academy Theatre. I am your congenial host, Mr. Randy Reed, and I will be here to guide you through some interesting chatter for the next little while. Glad you could join us. Before we get into the interviews uh, this month, I want to give a huge shout out to the folks at Triple Threat Theatre for their production of Matilda that happened this past summer at the theater. It was a huge success and um, really, really impressive. Always, always do a great job. So congratulations to um, all the Triple Threat people and the cast and crew of Matilda. We uh, have several things to talk about this particular episode. Uh, The first one is how grateful I am to have uh, run into some people during the process of putting this podcast together that I really didn't expect to meet. Um, You've met a couple of our people, Warren Frank and uh, William McGinn, and today you are going to meet our resident actress, Renee Frank. Uh, Renee is um, a real sweetheart, and she has done a lot of different things for us over the months, um, mainly the voice of Mary the Ghost. So uh, we thought this month it would be interesting to kind of introduce you to the real Renee Frank. So here she is. Hi, I'm Renee Frank. I actually grew up taking part in many theater performances at the Academy, so this project is very near and dear to me. I also worked at the Lindsay Public Library for a lot of years, and I love that place even more than I love books in general. I left town to go to school for acting, and my favorite part of that experience was working in the sound booth doing voice work. Since then, I've done many vocal projects, including recording songs, voicing video game characters, narrating audiobooks, and of course, this lovely podcast. In November, I moved out west, and I'm now living in Tofino, British Columbia, serving breakfast at a lodge resort, working on my art projects, and enjoying the splendor of the coastal scenery in between days of rain. I also happen to be the younger sister of this very podcast's sound producer, Warren Frank. But, as always, that is irrelevant. Thanks, love you, bye. All right, after a kind of a slow summer season at the theater, we are starting to ramp it back up, so we thought we would get together with our friend and the general manager of the theater, Mr. Craig Metcalf. We are once again with our friend Craig Metcalf, the general manager of the Academy, and we're going to talk about uh, September, among other things. Uh, first of all, Craig, um, Matilda was a big hit in the summer. How'd you feel about that? Well, uh, I don't think the word surprised uh, is, it, it works in this case, but certainly um, uh, uh, thrilled to see that on behalf of a triple threat. Yeah. Um, almost a complete sellout over yeah. over four shows. They do so, such a great job. And people love that show, yeah. and you're right, they do such a great job. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and uh, I'm so glad for them. that. Uh, yeah. And I'd love to see this place busy, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. The summer was kind of quiet, other than Matilda. It is uh, quiet. quiet. Generally, it's quiet anyway. Yeah. This gives us a chance to sort of catch up with some maintenance items. And, sure. And, uh, you know, it's always uh, been uh, my approach that uh, people don't want to spend a lot of time inside yeah. in the summer. Right. We only have so much time to sit outside. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what they say about Canadian summer. That's two weeks of bad skating. Yeah, yeah, so, right. I don't enjoy it while it's here. 
Um, okay, a new, uh, brand new ticket format coming up. We are, uh, uh, tomorrow is our last day with Ticketmaster, and we are moving over to uh, our, uh, a new system, Audience View, which will work seamlessly with uh, our website, not taking you to a third party um, such as Ticketmaster. So certainly it's a better consumer experience, but at the same time, it's cheaper for the consumer Good. as well. The online fees uh, capped at $2 as opposed to uh, the $3 fee plus the three fifty for per order fee the Ticketmaster right. had. So, and it's uh, a Canadian company. And it's a Canadian company. That's so, great. So mm-hmm. I, I, I know that, um, that our customers will experience uh, um, a better system, fewer uh, service charges. So it's, it's good for both of us. Good. That's great. Um, lots of stuff coming up in the fall. We do. Um, we let's, do. Let's talk about September. Okay, sure. We'll start with uh, uh, September. Um, so uh, I know that uh, uh, we start on the 16th with uh, with a Neil Diamond uh, tribute, um, and uh, on the 23rd, kind of excited um, about the, the concert factory uh, promoting the High Kings. So they'll be performing here on uh, the 23rd. Um, they are um, an Irish folk band. Uh, they're uh, five gentlemen, but they play 13 instruments. Wow. And they have, uh, they've set the bar extremely high for people in that genre. Uh, they've done so well. And um, I think uh, you know Lindsay will be uh, lucky. Lindsay is lucky to have them yeah. uh, come here on the the twenty third. Great. Um, lastly, something I know that uh, I am and the theater is thrilled to participate in, and that's a fundraiser for Van Haltrens on uh, September twenty ninth. Uh, Van Haltrens has been good to this theater over the years and great to the community over the years and, and the, you know they're they're uh, experiencing a little bit of, uh, of a challenge so we're happy to work with uh, Randy Reed Randy and and uh, Bob May uh, we're providing the space and uh, they're organizing the talent and it's going to be a, a great show for a great cause and again we're thrilled to be able to participate good yeah we're looking forward to that I'm, I'm going to be talking more about mm-hmm. it during this mm-hmm. episode so uh, thank you for that. The um, the last thing, um, we've had a couple of cancellations, I know, for October. Well, the biggest show that uh, we've done since I've been here has been canceled. Uh, wow. Burton Cummings uh, unplugged. Uh, he canceled uh, all of his Ontario stops. Um, it's unforeseen circumstances. That's all that uh, we know. Um, it's just that that was really good for us. Certainly financially, it sold out in a day, but also um, it, the, the the prestige that comes with hosting uh, somebody of that caliber, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. that history, yeah. uh, that success. Yeah. Um, so um, we will, before the end of the year, replace that with another marquee event, which I look forward to talking with you when Good. we've nailed it down. Yeah. 
And how do people, I know it was sold out, how do people go about getting their refund? Uh, the, the refunds are available at your point of purchase. So if you uh, purchased online, Ticketmaster will be refunding your money, and that should be automatic if they, uh, because they have your contact information. Right. If you bought at the box office, you'll have to come in uh, to the box office right. and get your money back. Okay. That's a shame. I mean, was, uh, so many people were looking forward yeah. to seeing you. Yeah, but I know you'll come up with something great. We will. You trust me. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Craig. Take care. Thank you. And one upcoming attraction that um, Craig uh, wanted to put in there was the Sultans of String are coming the first weekend in October. I have seen them a couple of times, and they are incredible. So if you get a chance, please come on out and see the Sultans of Strings. Uh, we want to talk a little bit more about that show on September 29th. It's really um, an interesting mixture of people, and we are basically calling it Friends Helping Friends. The people at Van Halterns have been good buddies for a lot of us for many, many years, and uh, we really, really hate to see them kind of struggling through um, not only the construction that was happening in front of the store for a number of months, but then followed by our pandemic that hurt them big time. So this theater show is a variety show. It's going to feature a lot of different types of music, a lot of different types of entertainment, and I think you will really enjoy it. So uh, check it out. If you wish to go, and we're hoping you do, um, you can buy tickets from me, from Bob May, or at Van Halteren's for a discounted price of $20 or you can get them at the box office for $25. Either way, you will enjoy it, I know. Okay, I'm always fascinated by some of the families here in the city of Kawartha Lakes that have been uh, involved with the Academy Theater for years and years. Uh, we talked earlier in uh, an episode to the Emerys, and this time we're going to be talking to the Harwood Jones girls. We have Stephanie and her daughter, Sydney, and I had the pleasure of sitting down with both of them at their lovely home just outside of Lindsay. So here is my chat with Stephanie and Sydney Harwood-Jones. Stephanie, I'll start with you. Please give us a little bit of a, a history lesson on your background at the theater. Okay. So I did not grow up in Lindsay. So I came to Lindsay in 2001 and began... began um, volunteering at the theater backstage uh, when my daughter Sydney was doing some shows but our family history goes back a long way my great aunt May was one of the first vaudeville performers on the stage um, she brought her stage show and it traveled all over the place but definitely and what was her last name Edwards Edwards yeah okay, May Edwards you. yeah um, and then um, down through to my mother. My mother performed on the stage, Sandra Elston, Wittes now, um, and she was there during Kiwanis shows when she was growing up, dancing stuff and lots of different things. So it skipped my generation of performing on to once Sydney started there, and so I did some volunteer stuff backstage with her during the shows, and then found out they needed volunteers for the front of the house, so I started doing that. So I'm involved doing that during the shows, also helping as a team leader, and which organizes the volunteers for each of the shows, um, and also do some front of house work. Oh, that's great. And so. Sydney, you've been around that theater since you were 
knee high. Yes, yeah. So I, I mean, technically the first time I was on the stage was um, dance recitals when I was three. But my first show was in 05, so I was five, um, doing Susical, and I was mm-hmm. one of the littlest who's. Um, and it's just, I caught the bug and just sort of kept going. (laughs) That's great. Um, tell us about, um, your involvement, um, going forward with, with shows like Mm -hmm. Matilda, uh, that was such a big hit this past summer. Yeah. Matilda was, was a lot of fun. Um, it was really nice getting to do like a role that I would consider is like a major chorus role. Um, because when I was at school, for musical theater a lot of the choruses were like your dancer heavy chorus um and i'm not as strong as the dancer as i am a singer so i didn't get to do a lot of like the fun stuff so matilda really let me stretch my performer wings and do all of the things because i was a dancer in one number and i moved all the props and then i was a singer in this number and then i was a mom in that number so it was it was nice to get back to um my roots as a performer um, but I've done lots of shows since that. Um, but I, yeah, at school we did two shows per year. So it was, it was a lot, but it was fun. And where did you go to school? I went to school at St. Lawrence College in Brockville. Brockville, mm-hmm. yeah. That's great. Stephanie, you're involved in so many things at the theater. Um, and I, I want, uh, eventually, maybe next month, I want to do a whole segment on the volunteers yes. because that's a huge part. It's, it's a huge part. The theater couldn't there. operate without exactly. our volunteers. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, tell us about what's going on with you coming up in the next little while. So I grew as a background helper during the shows. Um, they, they thought that I had a little bit of uh, ability um, beyond <laughs> just kid wrangling and makeup (laughs) so I have progressed into doing some stage managing during production so I've been asked to help during the fall production of James and the Giant Peach and I am going to do some stage managing during that show. That's great. Everyone's looking forward to that show too. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Beth Wilson is so so much fun to work with. Yeah, my my experiences with with the the, the the community theater mm-hmm. shows have it's just been magical just yes. absolutely magical it's a huge commitment i know that yes. um a lot of a lot of time goes into it a lot of effort but uh, very rewarding oh very for sure rewarding. yeah um tell us about um any contact that you may have had with our spirit friends at the theater namely mary so i don't know how much i've um felt Mary. I know I felt her presence a couple times when I've been in the theater, um, but I definitely had one full encounter when I was working backstage. I was the only one there at that particular time. And um, I was on stage left and looked across to stage right and sitting up in the little uh, vestibule um, was something. Um, was a gentleman. He had a top hat on. And I just remember thinking, well, there shouldn't be anybody up there. And I sort of looked away and was doing something and went, looked back and, well, there's somebody there. So I called out and nobody answered me and went back and looked again and there wasn't anybody there. So, yes, that was a full on spirit presence that was there. Cool. And Sydney? No, sadly, I haven't had like any full experiences that I can't explain away because it's an old building and 
I tell myself that so I can sleep. Um, <laughs> but I've heard all of the stories, all of the stories between screws moving and pictures hanging and people sitting in seats. And I want to one day. I'm praying that I can just. See oh them. yeah, they're there. They are there. <laughs> and then for I will sure. pray that I don't see it again. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, ladies, thank you so much. I have really enjoyed our our chat. Um, I will um, be in touch and let you know when it's going to air. I'm pretty sure it's going to be in the September, the September episode. So I'll let you know for sure. So thank you. Thank you. It's been lovely. We have talked over previous episodes about um, the presence of vaudeville shows at the theater. This happened primarily um, for the first 30 years of the, of the uh, theater's existence, and it was a wonderful form of family entertainment, brought people from all over the place. Uh, the vaudeville performers could get here by train um, and usually came up from Port Hope. In uh, the wonderful magazine that we've mentioned before, First Front Row Center, that was written, uh, put together by Jesse Kennedy and Ian McKechnie, uh, there is a... Uh, fictional story there uh, written by Ray Marshall and we thought it would be kind of interesting to have you hear that story and we are pleased to uh, ask Renee Frank to present that story to you so here she is Stage Struck a fictional account by Ray Marshall former Academy Theatre Manager that day I made a quick decision I decided to head north from Coburg to Lindsay on the show train When I say show train, I really mean a traveling show of singers, musicians, one magician, and a few young performers who did a variety of talents. It was one worn-out coach hooked on to a freight train. Yes, a vaudeville show, which played three nights at the Victoria Hall and was headed north to Lindsay's Academy Theater. I was only 16, and being very undecided about doing anything traditional for study work, had talked to the company manager who suggested I come along with him for a few weeks on the vaudeville circuit. It was 1925, and I was able to scrape together about $12 for food and other items I might need along the way. The boss was an okay gent of about 50, who had shows on the circuit all over upstate New York and all over Ontario, from Windsor in the west to Kingston in the east. Vaudeville shows traveled by train, and when the train stopped in each town, a wagon or two would take the gear trunks full of props, costumes, and personal items of the performers to the local hotel. The performers would walk into the theater, check in later at the hotel, and be ready for three shows each night starting at 6 p.m. Each show was about 50 minutes long. The boss told me I would be hauling trunks, setting up props, and shifting sets as needed during the shows. I would be paid one dollar a day, and he would take care of buying me food, and either I slept in the theater if I was allowed, or in one of the tiny rooms of the hotel. The hotel owner told me that folks came by horse and wagon since 1893, and by horse-drawn sleighs all the way from villages like Dunsford, Cameron, Downeyville, and other towns further away than those. The Academy Theatre was a treasure for all of the area. We got to Lindsay about 2 p.m., and I worked hard the first day until 10 p.m. I met the two owners of the Academy of Music, Misters High, Mian, and Ronick who were business partners in Lindsay, and they gave me some good advice over the three days we were there. Book into the new Royal Hotel. They will give your performers the best rate in town, and their sheets are clean, they said. And don't take your eyes off the props or costumes. You never know who's around looking to grab them. After the third show on the first night, I was bushed, 
and slept soundly until early the next morning when I had to organize the backstage for the next two nights' performances. I met a few stagehands who were great at shifting scenery, and two of the men came in by farm truck from Omimi. The other gent was from Cameron. He rode his bicycle in for each show day. They told me to talk to Mr. Meehan about some of the changes planned for the theater. The shows were amazing, and folks loved coming to them for about 25 cents a show. Vaudeville was so popular, and the Academy of Music was a swell spot to perform. 900 seats and a real stage, an orchestra pit, and a center entrance with a shop on both sides. The inside was painted beautifully, and as Mr. Meehan explained, the best acoustics in Ontario, just like the Massey Hall in the city. I was hooked. I carried on the vaudeville circuit for five exciting years, and in 1930 found myself back in Lindsay at the theater that had started it all. Silent films had given way to talkies, and one afternoon, after loading in the acts I was touring with, Mr. Meehan, full of excitement, told me that the Academy of Music would soon be closed for renovations, so there would be no circuit shows coming into town for a while. I was amazed at his news, so I grabbed a stool in the lobby and listened as he spoke. Not enough money in vaudeville shows anymore. Silent movies are done with as well, and we are installing new movie projectors and speakers with superior picture and sound. From now on, the Academy Theater, as it will be called, will have more movies each week and only a few live performances. The 900 seats will go down to just over 660. Real comfortable ones with padded seats and at a right angle to the movie screen, and the balcony will be cut back with no curves and no side boxes off the stage. A new false ceiling, four feet lower, new inside walls, better steam radiator heating, a fire hydrant in the pit will be replaced by fire hoses and cabinets in the walls, and the washrooms will be new and bigger, he told me. I was really impressed with his energy, his knowledge, and his dedication. After our three days and nine performances, we had about a day off to rest up. I had some time to think about what I wanted to do, stay on with the boss and move on to other towns, or ask Mr. Meehan for a job on their renovation projects, where I might be able to put down roots in town, live by or near the river, work hard, save some money, and learn by working on the academy. I decided to ask about a job, staying in town, and say so long to my performer pals, the boss, and the train ride north. Mr. Meehan hired me, and before you knew it, we were taking out seats, and a crew of about eight men came in alongside me to complete on all the work we had to do. The toughest job was taking down the 12-foot chandelier, which was in the center recess of the ceiling. I became a carpenter's apprentice, then carpenter, then general contractor over the next 20 years in downtown Lindsay. But the work I did in those early years was the most memorable. The one mystery that has always gone unanswered is, where did the 12-foot chandelier end up? Just another one of those mysteries of the Academy Theater, I suppose. Right from day one, the Academy Theater has always been a multi-purpose building. Uh, all kinds of different things going on, whether it's um, political rallies, uh, weddings, um, nurses, uh, graduations, which we'll be talking about in a future episode. All sorts of different things have happened to the theater. And here to talk about one such thing that was uh, very, very important to the uh, to the community and to the country, for that matter, uh, is Mr. Ian McKechnie. The Academy has always been, right from the get-go, um, kind of a multi-purpose building, um, and several things took place here that really had nothing to do 
with the arts. So Ian McKechnie is with us, and uh, we're going to be talking about one such um, one such product that happened um, very early on in the 1900s. Yes, thank you, Randy. Uh, so today, you know, we're accustomed to hearing the, the term proficiency in social media uh, being a requirement in any job that involves communications. And it was no different in early 20th century Canada when communication depended a great deal on telegraph wires strung along railway lines between towns and cities. And having an experienced telegraph operator in a railway station, a hotel lobby, perhaps a, a bank, or aboard a seafaring vessel was a real asset uh, at this time. And uh, some of those telegraphers were trained right here at the Academy Theatre. So this would be in Morse code? Yeah. I see. Yeah. And it would also be used in the military, I'm quite sure, as well. I would think so, yeah, yeah for communications. So tell me who, who got this started and approximately what time period are we looking at here? So the School of Telegraphy, which uh, was later referred to as the National School of Telegraphy, which is kind of bold, considering that it's in small-town Ontario, <laughs> uh, was started and overseen by a fellow named Alex, uh, Alex Mitchell Patton. Patton or Payton, I'm not sure quite how you pronounce it. And he was born in 1854 and raised in Coburg. And uh, he worked for the Grand Trunk Railway down in Hastings before being transferred over to Lindsay, where he served as the station master. And after he retired from that role, he established the School of Telegraphy in the old Canadian Post publishing offices, which were immediately south of the academy. And later he expanded his school by taking over, I believe it was the third floor of the theater. Um, there's some, um, how do I put this? It's not really clear. Some people say it was the third floor. Some people say it was upstairs at the academy. It's not a, a big space up there, as you know. No. Um, but uh, anyway, this happened in the late summer and early autumn of 1907. And uh, there was an advertisement that appeared in the newspaper that uh, uh, boldly said, telegraphy opens the way to a successful life. Uh, this was written by Mr. Uh, Patton himself. And boldly calling his institution the National School of Telegraphy, uh, Patton hammered home the importance of taking up telegraphy as a trade. Several thousand te telegraph operators will be required by the various railway companies within the next nine months, he said. So this was a good opportunity for young men and some women uh, as well. So anyone uh, inter interested in doing this would, would come not only being here in Lindsay, but would come from various places, I would imagine, to, to get schooled. Yeah, people came from all over the province, and when they graduated, uh, they would be sent all over, as far away as the United States, out west, these places. But if you wanted to enter um, Alex Patton's National School of Telegraphy, you had to possess, and I quote, a common school education, strict sobriety, honesty, industry, and carefulness. There you go. He was a, a real detail man. <laughs> Good qualities for just about anything, I would think. Um, so this carried on um, upstairs. We are currently upstairs in the guild room at the theater. Uh, this carried on for how many years, approximately? 
I'm not sure when it wrapped up. Uh, Alex Patton himself died in 1947. And uh, you mentioned that we're in the Guild Room. The, the sources say that all of this took place on the third floor above us where the costumes and props and the lighting booth are now. Right. And a journalist uh, went up there and found a room filled with miniature telegraph poles, wires, ceramic or glass insulators, and uh, approximately 30 students uh, seated approximately three feet apart from each other learning the telegraph trade. Wow, that's, that's pretty incredible that some of that material would still be upstairs as well. I think uh, it's all gone now, but... Yeah, uh, still, that's, that's very cool. Uh, the Patton family uh, was very much involved in the arts uh, community here in Lindsay. And um, tell us a little bit more about Alex. So Alex was uh, not only when he wasn't busy uh, working for the railway and instructing aspiring telegraphers, he was also an accomplished amateur poet. And a number of his poems were published in the local newspaper, the Lindsay Daily Post, he wrote poems, for example, on the death of the occasion of the death of Sir Wilfrid Laurier. He wrote a couple of poems um, during the First World War. Um, he was also very much into sports. I think he was an avid curler, uh, played hockey, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. One of those people, and we have them today, who really get involved in just about everything in the community. Right, yeah. He was involved at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. And he passed. Um, this interest in, in the arts and, and community involvement onto his kids. And he had a son named, uh, named Charlie Patton. And when Charlie was 15 years old, he was cast in, the, uh, in a production of Gilbert and Sullivan's uh, HMS Pinafore, which was staged here at the, at the theater. He played the part of a sailor. And I think he had a, a sister who, uh, who was cast in one of the other roles. And a funny kind of aside to this, Randy, um, Charlie was not merely a teenage actor, he was also a really great cursive writer. And a few years ago, I found on one of the back pews in the gallery at the Presbyterian Church, um, the initials C.H. Patton, June 24th, 1906. Wow. He was seated back there and uh, I guess thought no one would notice as he, perhaps he was bored, <laughs> scrawled his name into the back of the pew. Very cool. Um, back in, in 2019, um, something kind of special happened. Yeah, at the time, um, the uh, Cortha Lakes Municipal Heritage Committee and uh, what was then the, um, the old Cortha Lakes Culture and Heritage Network joined forces to organize Doors Open Cortha Lakes. And this is part of a broader um, provincial, province-wide uh, movement to encourage people to visit um, sites of historical and cultural significance. And each year they had a theme, and in 2019 the theme was communications. So the Academy Theatre had been on doors open before, but we thought, given this story about the telegraphy school, why not uh, give a little value-added feature and have some real live telegraphers set up shop here in the Guild Room? Mm -hmm. So what they did is they had two or three folding tables and they, they set one up closer to the door. The other one was set up maybe 10 feet away. And they ran a wire from one table to the other. And you could write out a message and they would send it with, you know, the click, 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 <laughs> click, click, click. And you, at the other table you would pick up your souvenir telegram. 
<laughs> and uh, and that was really then one of those um, ways of bringing history to life. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Particularly a lesser known part of the academy's history. That's great. And speaking of that, I introduced um, the fact that this was a multi-purpose building and has been pretty well all the way along. Um, there have been other businesses here, um, particularly on the main floor. Yeah, so just before the renovation happened, the second renovation, in 1962, 63, 64 and there, um, on either side of that breezeway going into the theater, where we now have the, the box office on the one side, mm -hmm. and then the other side is the uh, the lobby bar. Right. Uh, down there, there were there were shops that were occupied at various points by uh, Dr. Crichton's optometry office, uh, W. H. Roenick's music store, and also the first home to Hills Florist oh. was down there. There was also a store that I believe sold typewriters, and this kind of um, tradition of businesses not directly related to the work of the theater setting up shop within its walls was mm -hmm. not uncommon. If you look at uh, old photographs of some of the massive cinemas in places like Detroit, um, a lot of New York, Toronto, etc., um, downstairs you had the lobby and then you'd have the, the big screen and above that you might have an office tower. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, that's fascinating. Thank you, Ian. We appreciate your time, as always. You're welcome. Okay, before we go, um, I must uh, tell you how sad we are to hear of the passing of Mr. Jim Brown. Jim Brown was a dear man and had an awful lot to do with the, uh, the arts here in the city of Kawartha Lakes. He was a choir director. He was the music consultant for the Board of Education. Back then it was the Victoria County Board of Education. And he was also a guest on our podcast um, earlier on. So uh, we're very sad to hear about that. He was 92. He lived a good life. And um, I thought I would play you just a little bit of the interview that we had with, with Jim Brown. And um, a friend of mine up here called me, said, do you know they're advertising for a music coordinator up here in this area? And I said, wow. So I phoned and I asked if I could have an application. They mailed it out to me. I filled it all in and sent it back. I came up for an interview with about 40 other people and thought that's the end of that. And about 10 days later, I got a call from the superintendent of schools and he said, are you interested in this job still? Oh, I said, of course I'm interested in it. Well, he said, you got it, starting next September. I said, wow. Well, of course I was thrilled to pieces, gave my resignation in down there. And of course I was able to get the cottage all done. I wanted to get it so I could live in it right away. Mm -hmm. And everything just went boom, boom, boom. And before I knew it, you know, September came, 1973. And I moved up here and became the music coordinator for all the schools. Right. That and isn't that's that great? Got here. Yeah. So sad to hear about Jim. Uh, we are going to miss him. Well, that'll do it for this month. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you again to our, our cast and crew, 
Warren Frank, our producer-engineer, uh, William McGinn, and Renee Frank. Thank you all very much for listening, and please, if you have a chance, please come out to the theater on September 29th to support our fundraiser for Van Halteren's Music Center. We appreciate it. Take care and support the arts. It's important. <laughs>